Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene. And you can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. We have a lot of stuff to get to on the show today. We will do some cathartic ranting at the beginning of the pod. Nothing has changed since you and Jeremy Gover put together It's All Your Fault, brought to you by the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post. Make sure you go check that out every single Monday. You guys talked a lot about the two losses and the losing streak, but we're going to do it some more today because I think Predators fans need this catharsis in their life. I know I need it in my life. There are some, there is some data to back up a R-E-L-A-X sort of sort of message to the fans here. Just relax, take deep breaths. Uh, We're going to talk media coverage. Uh, We do have some dumb takes uh, that you found and discovered (laughs) and uncovered. We'll get to those a little bit later on. Obviously, some defense pairing maneuvers, some line changes in the last game on offense, defense pairing maneuvers and changes coming up for this team. We'll get to that. Uh, as well as the schedule coming up uh, before they go on a massively important road trip to Western Canada. Uh, But they've got St. Louis and Washington coming up over the weekend, so we'll preview what's coming up there. Uh, And again, the the, the losing streak, all kinds of stuff. Borvietsky, David Poyle, all kinds of stuff to get to today on the show. Before we do any of that, Michael Gallagher, uh, everyone out there, subscribe, Nashville Post. Nashville scene, pay for good journalism, subscribe to this and all the other great pods from the 440 Sports Network and from the Nashville scene and the Nashville Post. However, we are brought to you by Jaspers. Still the best possible place in the city to watch the Nashville Predators. And that includes Bridgestone Arena because you get free parking, $10 beers, $3 burgers, the Smash Burger during home and road Preds games. Make sure you check it out. The game room is there. The air hockey table is there. We have told you all the reasons. Is it the other way around? Is it $10 burgers and $3 beers? What did I say? You said $10 beers and $3 burgers. That'd be it. I mean, it's fine either. I guess it's the same total. Uh, unless you That, that piqued my interest because I was like, oh, $3 <laughs> burgers. Wow. $10 beers. Okay. I, I will say I don't think three burgers has the same effect on your body as three beers. Uh, Probably not. <laughs> three beers, a lot of fun. Three burgers, heart attack. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> the, the, the food is great. And, and honestly, like if you are like, this is the, the whole like, a lot of times, I don't know about you, the missus and I, we, we, we get into these moments where we don't have the kids around and all of a sudden we've got to go find a place to eat and you shouldn't panic. Don't panic. If you're looking for a nice place to grab lunch for a business meeting, if you're looking for a nice place to grab a cocktail after work, if you're looking for a nice place to have a meal with your significant other, with your boys, watch a game, whatever, don't panic. Don't panic. Go to Jasper's. Might have to get the Patrick and the scene in on this because they every time it's best of Nashville pub week, they always cater some some restaurants and stuff like locally. So I, I sure. maybe next year we can get Jasper's in on this. Just don't panic. The same message to Nashville Predators fans and to the players is to all of you out there who are looking. You're in the moment. You're about you're like, man, where should we go grab a beer? Where should we go watch the game? Where should I take the the girlfriend, the wife, the spouse, the husband? The where, where should where should we go? Where should I take the kids? I'd like to play Papa shot and, and play ice hockey or play uh, 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 air hockey. I'd like a good burger. I'd like to watch the game. Where sh- I'm panicking. Where should I go? Jaspers, folks. Jaspers. It's only seven games. Don't panic. You're looking for a place to eat. Go to Jaspers. And of course, also brought to you by Weiss Liquors, Uber Eats, Search Weiss Liquors, locally owned and operated in Nashville for almost 100 years. They're right there on Gallatin near downtown. So as you're leaving downtown, heading home, you want some booze. You can either swing by and pick it up, or you can have it delivered right to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes to swing by Weiss Liquors. Jaspers, Weiss Liquors, support local business. Okay. 
Um, a lot of stuff to get to, but I would like to, we're going to package together the losing streak, the awfulness, the badness, the questionable decision-making, the questions about Preds media coverage. We're going to put this all together into one conversation here to start the show. <laughs> and I, my first, like, I might need a second here, uh, Michael, just to kind of get this, get through this. I don't know where this is going to go. I, I am so frustrated watching a team that cannot do the most basic of hockey things. This is the part that frustrates me the most of all of this. And Insert there's not- Mike Rabel back to fundamentals, complimentary <laughs> football type yes, motivational yes. quotes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because part of my like thinking through how I wanted to deliver this is to like make an, a football analogy and say, what do you have to do to win football games? You have to block and you have to tackle. <laughs> Those are the two things like in hockey. You have to exit your zone carefully. You have to enter the zone with authority. You have to pass the puck well. You have to put the puck on the net when you're shooting it. You have to mark a man who is standing next to your goal with a defensive player or at least a back-checking forward at some point. Like you just, it, it is the most basic of fundamental hockey problems that this team has. I don't need to rattle off all the metrics. I don't need to say, you know, it's the longest losing streak. I don't need to say that their expected goals with Yossi and Fabro is 35th in the NHL. Like, I don't I don't need to say that they're 31st in goals scored. I don't need to say that their power play is garbage. Like, we know all of this stuff. It all amounts to, like, it is just bad hockey. It is bad defensive hockey. It is bad disciplined hockey. It is bad fundamental hockey. They don't do things right. <laughs> like, and I don't know... I don't even know what why I need to get specific on this because I watched the I rewatched both of those games this morning before we recorded the, against Columbus and against Philly and it is just basic fundamental hockey breakdowns every in every zone with every line with all the players I I just it is sort of beyond it's like it's like a pandemic season where they didn't have like 6 months to get to know each other <laughs> and they're all a bunch of rookies again. Like I, it's, I'm. We'll get to the positive side of all of this. I think that's but, the most frustrating part for the fans is they want someone to point the finger at and someone to blame because that will make them feel better. It, there isn't one person; it's everybody. Literally, the the most basic, fundamental part of playing hockey. It's like this team forgot about it somehow. And what's crazy, they look really good in the two games against San Jose. But since they've come back to North America, they've looked like a junior varsity hockey team. You don't feather backhands in your own zone into the middle of the ice. You don't leave players standing on the other side of the net in your own zone on defense. If you're, if you're Matt Duchesne, you don't take your stick and whack it at the other, at the other player for no reason. <laughs> if you are Philip Forsberg and you are standing nine feet from the goal, I would suggest putting the puck on the net so that if you shoot it, it has a chance to go in. Now I, I, I I'm going to, there's going to be a, like a positive flourish here to all of this. So just bear with me here. This is all catharsis. It is just <laughs> every goal I've seen, like the game winner for Columbus is just terrible hockey. The guy is just standing there on the backside. Every three guys are like standing around playing with their pud. Like I just, I, it's, it is, it's just bad hockey. And the good news is, all right, do I, do I need to say any more bad things? Like, do I need, do I need stats? Do I need any more bad stuff here? 
I mean, I think like, I think we get it. But if you want to keep going, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure the fan base is right there with you. They have a, they probably have a checklist they're waiting to to mark. Okay, it off. okay. Uh, Twenty nine and one. They've been outscored since uh, since returning to to this hemisphere. Oh four and one. Of course, longest winning streak of the John Hines era. 29th in the power play. Thirty first in goals scored. Uh, they have an outshot 77 to 42 in the third period all season. That includes both games in Europe. Uh, they were 31, one and one last year, Michael 31, one and one with a lead after two periods in four games. They have as many losses and overtime losses this year as they did all of last season with a lead entering the third period. They are two, one and one this year. Entering the third period, two goal leads in the third period, not safe against this team. You see Soros, and I have no concerns about UC Soros, but the third goal by Philly was a bad goal by UC Soros. That is a save he's got to make. There's a lot of rebounds. A lot of these goals are not his fault. Soros is going to be better. I'm not worried about him. He's the least of my concerns, but that was a bad goal. And, and the game was kind of over, but not yet. And that, that goal ended the game against Philly. That's a bad goal. You got, it's a bad angle. You're one-on-one. -on -one, there's no screen. You got to make the save. That's it. Full stop on that. So it, I think I got everything in there. I think I'm good. I, I have a couple. I want to, I want to, I want to throw some oh, salt in the wounds. Yeah, here. let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so they are, they rank 27th in goal differential. They have allowed the seventh most unblocked shot attempts and the ninth most rebound shots allowed. They also have 18 defensive zone giveaways. Oh. And, and Roman Yossi at this point last year had, I think it was three goals and nine points. This year, he's got one point, but it's not for lack of trying. He has 70 shot attempts through seven games, but 29 of those 70 shot attempts have been blocked, and 10 of those shot attempts have been wide of the net. All that to say, Ugh. only two teams have scored fewer goals than the Predators, Anaheim and St. Louis, and St. Louis has played in three fewer games. They played four games. They've played they, half they, the games. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 a mess in in Nashville. I I really genuinely feel bad for the players because they're they're probably getting beat over the head everywhere they go. And yeah, I, the, I, the, I feel most most bad for I guess is UC Saros because he's just the victim of all of this bad hockey going on in front of him. Now you say this, so you feel bad about the players. I do not. That that when when you are a professional athlete making eight million dollars a year, it is not John Hines' fault that you are not doing your job. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And I, I guess I, I don't feel bad for the players. Like they did this to themselves. Like this is your, you made your bed now lying it type thing. But I, I, I know how aggravated I get when my wife asks me like three or four questions in a row. And it's the same <laughs> question. I answer it over and over and over. So from that standpoint, having, having them sit in front of us and us ask them the same questions over yeah, and over, yeah. I'm sure that's got to be frustrating. Uh, no husband ever relates to that at all, ever. No, no spouse can relate to answering the same question over and over again. Nobody's ever done that. Uh, Yossi, Forsberg, and Duchesne, of course, at time of taping, four goals, five assists, negative 14 total uh, overall. Uh, I have written down bad goals, bad defense, bad players. <laughs> that's, that's what I have written down here. You could have just left it at bad. <laughs> I, I, I know, and it's it's not just the one thing. It is so, it's such basic, fundamentally sound things that like I learned as an eight, eight year old playing hockey, not to do like if you're back, I play defense. So you get back on defense, you find a guy, you tie up his stick, you get in his way. It's you, you, if you're in your own zone, you don't clear it up the middle where, where you, it's just, it's so fresh. It's so frustrating. Um, so, okay. <laughs> all right. I wanted to get that off my chest because now I want to spin it all because I know we're going to get into the coverage of this and 
how soft the Preds media core is in Nashville. So soft. Um, yeah. So here's here's some here's some quick numbers for you. Because last week we talked a lot about sample size and how important it is it is. Because I do think there is a there, John Hines has made some decisions that are obviously wrong. I mean, Eckholm and McDonough, we're going to get to in a second. That was a terrible decision by the coaching staff. Sending they, Philip Tomasino to Milwaukee in favor of Cole Smith and Kiefer Sherwood. And, and we're going to get to style of play conversation because I actually think that is one of the more interesting philosophical discussions we could have about this team and the league in general. Um, so here you go. Last year, they were three and four after seven. 2021, four and three after seven. 2020, four and three after seven. 2019, six and one, won the division, uh, obviously. 2018, four, two and one after seven, President's Trophy. Uh, 2017, the best team in franchise history in the playoffs was two, four and one. <laughs> two, two, four and one. Sound familiar? You mean two, the season doesn't end, two, you know, two weeks one. into it? What? This is brand new information. Now, so in 2017, they go two, four, and one. They actually were three, five, and three after 11. Go to the cup final. The team that won the president's trophy was five, five, and two after 12. Now, the team that won the division the following year, which ended up getting bounced, I believe, in the first round, was 13 and three to start the season. Um, the year that Lavi got fired, they were four, three, and one in the first uh, uh, eight games there. So they, they, you know, not great. Five and eight, three games under 500 uh, two years ago in their first 13. And then last year they were one and four before then winning eight out of 10. So, and again, there's, there's again, all of these end up in first round exits. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think the, the point and the moral of this. Don't is ruin this with facts. There is no correlation so far in modern Preds history. There is no correlation between where you're going to finish in the standings, what you're going to do in the postseason, and the first seven games of your season. <laughs> and, and I said this on There's It's none. All Your Fault on Tuesday. They started last year 12-10-1, and they went on a tear. They won. They had a seven-game winning streak. They took. They won 10 out of 12 games. I think they took in 14 out of 16 games, and that catapulted them right up to the top of the division. Yep. They still ended up with 97 points, granted it. The wheels fell off at the end of the year, but they look like a mediocre team at this point last year and almost through the first third of the season. They looked like, okay, David Poyle sold us on the competitive rebuild and here they are. It's a bad team. It's going to be a full-blown fire sale at the trade deadline. And then they go on like a month-long tear where they win, you know, 10 of 12 points, 14 to 16. They really turned the season around and that's when people were comparing them. I think the NHL had the power rankings that were coming out and the Predators were top five. And it was just like, Two weeks ago, everyone's talking about throw, get a fire sale going on, and now all of a sudden they're one of the top ten teams in the league. So, again, we do this every year. We overreact to how bad the team looks. Just like UC Saros, the Predators usually get off to slow starts and they ramp it up in the middle of the year towards the trade deadline for whatever reason. That seems to be their mo. So, like I said, we we talked about it last week on, on this podcast. The fifteen to twenty game mark is probably when you start worrying: is yep. this a trend or is this just a little bit of bad luck? Yeah. And, and, and there's some changes coming and we'll get into that. Um, I, I do think that again, five, five game losing streak, longest of the Heinz era, eight, eight is the longest in franchise history, by the way, which was April of 2013. So there's still three games away before they even tie the, the franchise record, which of course you don't want to see, but, and here's the other angle to all of this. If this was a very, very, very young team, I mean, the core nucleus of this team that was making all the money was very young and had very little experience, which is not the case for Matt Duchesne, 
Roman Yossi, Matias Ekholm, UC Saros, um, you know, Philip, Johansson. Philip Forsberg, Johansson. These guys Peter are Ryder. vet. These guys are vet. Yeah, these are veteran McDonough veteran players who have played a ton of hockey, and the statistical probability of them progressing to the mean over the course of the next month or two is highly likely. So the 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 two things you have to sort of weigh here is yes, we can be frustrated, angry, upset, pissed off, whatever you want to use about how this team is playing because it is not good. But you also have to understand how small the sample size is and the odds of these very veteran, very established players returning to their normal levels of production. Roman Yossi is not going to go 70 shots without a goal the rest of the season. That is not going to happen. So that is how I spin it all in my head. No, I get it. It it makes sense. And Again, and I think we can talk about this once we get into the, the media coverage of this team. Fans think with their emotions and fans see the wins or see the losses piling up and they see the penalties piling up and they see the separation between the Predators and the rest of the team in the Central Division and they have their pitchforks ready and they have all their, you know, their fire lit and all this stuff and they're they're ready to just yeah. tear the team down and fire everybody seven games in because they are way more invested in this team than we are as media members that are covering it. And, and I get it. I, I understand. I, under, I don't agree with it, but I understand the fans that are saying fire David Poyle because it doesn't look like things are getting better. I understand the, the people saying fire John Hines because this is just really bad right now. Last year gave them a little bit of hope and optimism. I think that they could turn this around and, and really there's, there's no reason why a team that loses Nick cousins and Luke Cunning and Matt Benning and Philip Myers and David Riddick and gains, Ryan McDonough, Nino Niederreiter, Kevin Lankinen should should not be better than what they had last year. But they've gotten rid of, they trimmed the fat, and they've gotten better players, and somehow the results have gotten worse. Which is it's hard to figure out why the why it's going south so quickly. So you mentioned the criticism of David Poyle, which is a perfect segue into the media coverage. But before we do that, one last thing: if I hear first goal of the season one more time uh, <laughs> from a broadcaster, I'm going to be very upset. Well, um, you should probably mute your Predators games when you're watching them then. First goal, uh, first goal of the season for this slappy McGee. First goal of the season for this guy who doesn't score. First, first goal of the goal. season. First career goal. Like they're, they're I, great at giving those up. Oh my god! If I hear first goal of the year, eight, nine, ten games into the season, I'm going to start committing crimes. Uh, okay, so we were hearing it last year, thirty games into the season. Right, that's true. So that that leads us into the criticism of of David Poyle, of John Hines, of the players, of the team. I don't know what else we could do on this podcast or you and Gover could do on your other podcast in terms of being critical of the team. I mean, the title of your Gosh. last episode, the title of your last episode was like, everyone is to be blamed. <laughs> There's plenty yeah. of blame to go around. So I guess, I mean, we, you and I weren't doing, doing the show at the time, but before the Tanner's, you know, Yakov Trenin thing exploded two springs ago, and we were entering the trade deadline era of the shortened season the calls for David Poyle's head on, and I know you don't love Stillman, but on his show, on our podcast, uh, in the press conferences, there are people that are asking questions about this stuff all the time. It doesn't have to be, com- I, I know you have to rant here, but it doesn't have to be combative. Like the, the goal of the media relationship with the coach and the players is not to be combative and antagonistic. That's sports talk radio. Yeah. The relationship can be professional and adult and not personal and still ask a tough question like, why isn't this working? Why is that not working? Do you think, do you feel the pressure from this or that or whatever? So 
I know you've got some, I know you've got some time. You want to explore the studio space on all of this. Yeah. I, uh, this is, this is something that just makes me see red a lot of the time because it's, I want to know when we all started subscribing to this Paul Kaharski school of thought where if you're not constantly shitting on the team you cover, you're not doing your job. That that's not what I was taught when I was in school. That's not what a lot of other journalists were taught when they were in school. I'm not, you know, I'm not in the business of writing hit pieces simply because a few fans are mad that the team has lost a few games in a row. But if the team is underperforming and there are issues that need to be addressed publicly, then I'm not afraid to go there and get on record with some of those things. Over the last year, I made a list of some of the. Oh, you got receipts. I got receipts. These are the. This is a list, not an exhaustive list. This is just something I threw together five minutes this morning. Critical stories I wrote last season, from the beginning of the year all the way through free agency. I, I wrote about the team's complacency during the few, first few days of free agency and how they missed out on a lot of good players. I really feel like Andre Burakovsky, for example, would have been a great signing. I know he would cost a little bit more than Nino Niederreiter, and, and Niederreiter has been one of the few guys that's played well, but I feel like long-term, that would have been a great signing for this franchise. I talked to ad nauseum on It's All Your Fault and kind of drug David Poyle through the mud of his handling for the Philip Forsberg contract negotiations I, I said, I don't know how many times, just give the man his damn money. Just give him what he wants. He's the best player on your team, best offense player on your team. He's the face of your of your offense. Like, other than Roman Yossi and UC Saros, you need guys to build around. He's he's a player of the community. Like, give the guy what he wants. And David Poyle was holding out, trying to squeeze every last drop out of that he could. I tore him apart on several It's All Your Fault podcasts about that. I wrote a story basically saying that the Predators needed to fire John Hines and promote Carl Taylor and give him the NHL coaching job. Then they go and sign John Hines to a contract extension two days later. Um, I wrote about how trying to force this smash mouth identity on the franchise was bad because this isn't how that that's not predator hockey. Predator hockey is strong defense, strong goaltending, and you win games two to one. It's not going out and beating people to submission. I also wrote about the boneheaded moves that David recently made, the Sam Gerard, Kyle Turris trade, trading multiple first rounders for Paul Gostad, Ryan Hartman, losing Rem Pitlick for nothing, stuff like that. The lack of accountability between the people at the top, not ownership, but management that David Boyle basically has no one to answer to. And John Hines really, it doesn't seem like he's being held accountable. I wrote how that's causing rip between the predators and the fan base. I, I think we, I think we get it. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I guess my question is do fans. So here's, so first of all, ironically, those first two, you mentioned you were technically wrong about because <laughs> Nita Ryder has been good. And, Forsberg, they got a good deal signed with him, but that's not the point. The point isn't whether or not we are right or wrong about a decision. The point is, are we being critical of the team that we are covering to the fan satisfaction? That is what is the debate here. And I think, I think this is the, this is the main issue to me, Michael, is the vocal minority of fans that go on Twitter and scream for people's heads is a very, very, very small percentage of the, of the fan base writ large. If you are calling into radio shows, you are in the minority. Most people don't call radio shows. Yeah. Most people aren't screaming on Twitter uh, about like pretending to be Toronto or Montreal or New York or Philadelphia. That is not who we are as a market. We we don't have to be giant assholes to each other. <laughs> like that's not who we are as a market. And if you want to be like that, move to Boston or Philly. Right, right. And so I think when it is time to be critical, plenty of people are critical there's also plenty of homers in every sport that there's titans homers there's preds homers there's nashville sc homers if you want homer content go get it somewhere else there's plenty of places to get it 
And that's what I understand is that no one in Pred's media is critical. And it's 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 hard for me to sit there and listen to all these people just spout at the mouth all this stuff because it's just it's flat out wrong. Something that bothered like I pride myself in interacting with my followers and the listeners of our podcast. And I try to answer questions that are asked of me on Twitter and write stories that if I were a Preds fan, what would I want to read about? But it's just it's garbage and it's just jackassery that swirling around social media that that Preds are soft and we're afraid to ask the tough questions. Like this notion that nobody aside from Adam Vingan has ever asked a tough question is just complete BS. <laughs> we ask what needs to be asked. Yeah. We're not going to sit there and rake people for the coals just because we can. We're not just because we have platforms to do this. We're not going to sit there and just rip people apart for no reason. You're, you're John Hines. You're on a five game losing streak. Yes, you absolutely have to sit here and be held accountable for that. But we're not going to sit here and rake you over the coals for every wrong you've ever done in your life just because we're upset you've lost five games in a row. Like I just I, it's I it's assume hard for that me to most, understand. This. I assume that most fans have not heard every question asked of John Hines this year. Yeah, and and when did I that assume. become a when did that become a requirement that all of a sudden reporters have to let their social media followers know what questions we're asking? Yeah, during a press conference, I don't go into Jasper's and ask them every single piece of seasoning they put on my burger. <laughs> I trust them; they are professionals. <laughs> this is their this is literally their job. I, it's it's very frustrating, and there's so much more I could vent, but I, here, I don't here's the other get thing. too far on my soapbox about this. Here, but. here here's the other again. I, I think two two important things. One of them is is that. We cannot allow ourselves as fans, as media, as anything to be obsessed with like the one guy who just won't stop tweeting <laughs> like yeah. it's it is it's so few people are on Twitter relative to the larger population. It and is like a, they say, general managers don't build a team and make trades based off of what fans are saying. Reporters don't base their coverage yeah. off of what fans are saying. Same same component applies. The other side of this is that, OK. John Hines, what is wrong with your team? Let's say I asked that in a post-game press conference. He's going to give me a minute and a half answer where he maybe like how, and John Hines is actually one of the very good ones at being articulate and explaining things through and talking things yeah. through. Like Peter Laviolette would just like look at you and like you're a dumbass and be like, hey, why would, why would, why would I ever answer a question about blah, 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 blah. Heaven, yeah. forbid, heaven forbid anyone question my ability to run a power play. Man, like that's I, like, so what is it that you expect in a press conference after a game? Like a players and coaches are heated after losses. So they're probably not thinking exactly straight. And, and with all due respect, the Preds don't exactly give John Hines to everybody to talk to all the time. Yeah. So it's not like we all have all this access to coaches for extended periods of time to have like longer conversations with these guys about complicated nuanced topics. And, and if you do, and I did this for years with Peter Laviolette on the radio, like I would ask him tough questions in those interviews. I'm not like, and this is, I know you don't, you're not, <laughs> I, I think Stillman's full of shit all the time, but at least he says a lot of stuff that other people are thinking and it doesn't make it right all the time, but at least he does it. There's a lot of shows that talk to the coaches that don't even ask a single thing. So yeah. I, I, I don't, you know. Well, it's this, funny we're, that all we're, these we're in a media people, soapbox now and we don't need to be. So. Well, it's funny that there's a lot of people on Twitter and, and social media in general that are that sit there and be like, no one asks the tough questions as if they had this job. They would walk in, look John Hines in the face and be like, you fucking suck. Why did <laughs> why is your team shit? I dare you. I dare you to walk into a press conference and say no. that to a professional hockey coach. It'll never it'll ne you would get kicked out of the press conference. You'd get your credential revoked. Yeah. It is. Th these are we are all human being professionals doing our jobs. And I'll, there's, a, I'll there's leave, a right way and a wrong way to ask it. So I'll leave I'll leave this discussion on this. If you don't like the job that's being done by your local reporters, you are more than welcome to take out thousands of dollars in student loans, 
put yourself through journalism school, <laughs> then graduate school, <laughs> while also working a full-time job in an internship and a graduate assistantship simultaneously, work your way up to being a credentialed media member, and then ask these so-called questions that you're not getting enough about. Man, okay. All right. You, you're that that one. <laughs> that one was personal. <laughs> that that was. answer, that answer was personal. Um I yeah, I <laughs> here's the other thing, and we'll and I'll end it on this before we move on. <laughs> if this if this team has a 10 game losing streak and is la- is in last place and is dead last in scoring and dead last in power play 20 25 games into the season what do you think the questions are going to be they are going to be why is it not working that My is my question going, is going to be are, are you are you planning uh, what number is Connor Bedard going to wear next year <laughs> those are those will be the questions when that time comes full stop end of discussion let's move on <laughs> All right, we'll get to the defense pairings here because obviously a big change coming from John Hines making one of the big first decisions. Although he did move Yakov Trenin up to the second line uh, and it seemed to be interesting. It kind of worked. I don't know if it's exactly the, the right answer long-term to break up the herd line, but we'll get to some of the decisions that John Hines is making. But I want to I, I want to touch on the Mark Bervietsky issue because obviously that's a terrifying moment. It's really scary yeah. when you are laying there un, and just basically not moving, you're stretchered out. He is okay, of course. He was released from the hospital. He's got, got a picture with his kids and everything. He, here's like, this is just a, a personal plea from me because I know his, we, we know his background with head injuries and with head trauma. We know his background of the, the, the sort of the battles he's had psychologically with OCD and how it's affected his life. And we, li- and we know his style of play is not going to change. I, I am not sure I want to see Mark Borowiecki play hockey again. Uh, just for for his own good and for his life long term, it is it is hard for me to watch him take the ice right now. If he goes back on the ice in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, who knows? Whatever it is, it, every time he's on the ice, he gets in a fight, makes a big hit. I I like I, I tense up and I like get queasy. Like I, I and I'm not saying this to try to tell him what to do with his life. I'm just saying this with knowledge of the situation context and i want him to be okay he is extremely likable he is a great dude and i want his head to not be scrambled eggs at the end of his life and and if he keeps going at this rate that scary shit will keep happening and it is really tough to watch so i I can't tell another man what to do with his life his career his passion his family that's not my place but that is that is just me expressing my personal feelings towards the situation no, I completely agree. And I, I've been saying this for the last six months or so. He's still a good defenseman. He can still be a, one of the, you know, the better third pairing defensemen in the league, which is what makes this difficult to say. That's probably in his best interest for his family and his health for him to just hang it up. God, it's so scary because he the head trauma oh. and, and that play against uh, Philadelphia didn't even look that bad. I mean, it looked bad when he went down, but the play like what the series of events that led up to him going down didn't really look like it was all that bad like it didn't he didn't take a sharp elbow to the head his head didn't ricochet off the glass like it didn't look terribly egregious but he didn't move for a while he had to be stretched out and like you said he's 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 what 34 35 like he's he's set in his ways he's not going to change the way he plays hockey he only knows one way to go and that's full stop go right at everybody he's gonna keep fighting and stuff and I, i just think you know he's got two little boys he's got a wife it might be in his best interest to just kind of hang it up and, and walk away now. And I, and I, I've said this several times before, he would be the perfect ambassador community ambassador for this team. 
keep him in Nashville if he wants to stay here. You give him a job as a community ambassador because he's very likable. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet off the ice. He, he's just one of like the most kind-hearted human beings ever. Give him a job, keep him in the organization, but get him off the ice because it's just getting it's getting to the yeah. point now where when he's out on the ice, you're almost waiting for that cringe moment to happen because it's yep. just it's yep. that's what ha- that's how he plays. And and right now the way you know his body's not holding up and everything else, I, I feel like you you can easily if you need an eighth defenseman or sixth or seventh defenseman, whatever, you can call someone up from Milwaukee. You can go sign yep. someone else. Like you, you don't need Mark Borowiecki that bad because now it's getting to the point where it's just it's more scary than it is anything else. Well, and it's not like the Preds have any power in this. It's it's about Mark and his own personal dreams and and career and fulfillment yeah. and inspiration. Like, what is it that he wants out of his life? And again, only he can make this decision. But cringe, queasy. These are the these are the adjectives I would use when I when I watch him play the game. And it's for it's because I'm like, I don't want to see it happen to him. And that that's all. And so that you see that moment and you're just, your heart drops into your stomach. And as a father, you're just like, Oh my God, like the whole thing is just so scary. And uh, I don't know. I'd be totally happy if I never saw him on the ice be- for his own best interest. But again, it's not our careers. So, uh, but it's it a also- shame too, because he and Dante Fabro, I think statistically have been the predators, either first or second <laughs> best defensive pairings on the ice. So yeah. it, it kind of, it's kind of, it sucks that this is going down this way, but I mean, at, at some point you got to prioritize your health and your future and your family over, you know, making a few yep. bucks and playing a game. So, which leads us to the future of the Preds defense core. Um, here's the number I got from a source inside in, according to the statistics. Uh, Eckholm and McDonough, 37.4 expected goals for percentage. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, I can't hear that, my eyes rolling right now. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> it, it is absolutely atrocious hockey between the two of them. It, you could see it from the first shift. Ekholm was not comfortable over there. You saw it in the last shift. <laughs> Ekholm was not comfortable over there. And what does that mean? That number 37.4% expected goals for percentage. That means when they are on the ice based on the shot quality, the opposing team should be scoring 64% of the goals. <laughs> when they, when McDonough oh, and Eckholm are on the ice of every 10 goals that are scored, six and a half of them should be from the other team. That is, what that, that, that is what that metric is telling you. And to me, that shows why playing Matias Ekholm on the right side is a bad idea. Yeah. And what's what's incredibly crazy about all of this is the on ice say percentage when McDonough and Ekholm are on the ice together. When that's the defensive pairing, it's ninety four point eight. That that's what's crazy is the on ice say percentage is really good, but everything else is just really bad. And I, I I think I said it on a couple a couple weeks ago on the on the Gold Standard. I said. Maybe the best thing is for them to keep Yossi, Ekholm, and McDonough all on the left side and just mix and match the other three. And that looks like that's what they're going to do Thursday against St. Louis. Is that what you want to see? So Yossi, Ekholm, McDonough on the left side. It does look like Fabro is going to be on the top pairing because he played with Yossi last game. Here's what's interesting. According to Money Puck, the expected goals for. So this is offensive hockey with Roman Yossi, right? I was looking at metrics for Yossi offensively. Um, The 54th best offensive pairing. In, in the NHL, Roman Yossi and Alex Carrier, the 61st best offensive pairing in the NHL so far to date, Yossi and Fabro. <laughs> so well, Yossi even, and Carrier have worse. allowed Yossi and Carrier have allowed four goals. Yossi and Fabro have allowed two goals. 
And I, I where is that? I have some stats here. So Carrier was absolutely dusted, just yeah. dusted in the Columbus game. Like he is, he's that's happened to him a few times off the rush where somebody just goes right around him, and you're like, "What are you doing, dude?" Statistically, Yossi and Carrier is this team's worst defensive pairing. Their on ice save percentage when they're the defensive pairing is eighty one eight. They've allowed high eight high danger chances for. They've allowed twenty three scoring chances against and twenty two shots allowed. Yossi and Fabro. Their on ice save percentage is 89, which isn't a lot better, but it's a lot better than 81%. They've taken, they've allowed 27 shots, 31 scoring chances, 14 high danger chances. So they're, they're taking more shot volume than Yossi and Carrier, but the on ice save percentage is much better for whatever reason. Yossi and Carrier, yeah. they're out of a groove. They, they're not, they're out of sync. I don't know what's going on with them. Well, and Fabro and Yossi were responsible for two of the goals against Philly. The first one, Fabro like set the screen. For, for the first goal, basically, and was just standing there three feet away from a guy in the high danger slot that just fired a puck off the boards. Again, Philly just four checks, sends it to the high danger chance and shoots the puck on net. It's, it's just astonishing strategy by the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> it's just <laughs> insane. And then, of course, Yossi's the guy who doesn't get all the way back on the uh, on the final goal. Um, again, that that should have been a sorrow save. But so what, yeah. what's the pair? What so if you've got Yossi at Cole McDonough, what does the, the 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 right side look like, and what should it be in your opinion? And in, in my opinion, I think it, you go Yossi Fabro, Ekholm Carrier, McDonough Lozon, and I think that's that's probably the most well-rounded yeah. three group of three you can get. Fabro, for whatever reason, he he seems to play better with Roman Yossi than he does with anyone else. I mean, Mark Borowiecki plays better with him than anyone, but that's been you know three or four game sample size. Um, and I think Carrier, the areas he's deficient in, I think Matthias Ekholm can be good at kind of masking them and kind of covering those up a little bit and helping him out a little bit more. And I just feel like McDonough is your typical stay-at-home defenseman. Lozon is the big physical one that's going to go up and bully people. And I, I think that just that makes more sense than putting Carrier with McDonough or Fabro with McDonough right now. So the the question is, are are you going to give the third pairing more minutes than your average third pairing because you're paying one of them almost seven million dollars? Yeah, I think that that that's the question that they need to figure out right now, and that's probably something John Hines is mulling over. I think that would be in their best interest because if you have Roman Yossi paint, playing twenty five minutes a night, he's going to be worn out when you get to the playoffs, and when you get to the playoffs, you're going to be expecting him to play thirty minutes a night. I think you could probably spread things out a little bit. Maybe you can bring Yossi and Fabro if that's your top pairing. Maybe you bring that down to like 20 to 22. Maybe you keep Ekholm and Carrier 20 to 22. And then maybe you can bump up the third pairing from, you know, what, 12 or 15 minutes a game to 18 minutes somewhere in there. I think, especially when you have Ryan McDonough, and even if you weren't paying him six and a half million a year, just the fact that Ryan McDonough is really good. We haven't yeah. seen it through the yeah. first seven games, but just given who Ryan McDonough is and what he's good at, penalty killing, stopping the like he's a really good, really, really good defensive defenseman. I think it would it would behoove them to kind of bump the third pairing up if that's what you're going to go with and kind of bring the first two pairings down a little bit in minutes. Here are Yossi's minutes, 24, 22, 25 and a half, 25 and a half, 25 and a half, 27, 29 and three quarters. Yeah, you can't have your captain and your number one defenseman playing between 25 and 30 minutes a night, seven games into the regular season. Yeah, not not a good trend there uh, for Yossi, who, again, if you look last year, um, averaged, you know, he's he's at 25-41 this year. He's at 25-33 last year, 24 minutes the year before. So, again, 24 is fine. 29 
yeah. in three three quarters in a regular season game in October against Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference. That when you're down three nothing, like that's not that. That's, especially that's not when you can't. Especially when you can't hold on to a lead in the third period because that's that's what's going to cause his minutes to spike. If you if you're up yeah. two goal two you know three to one two to one whatever. And you you like you want to break this five game losing streak or whatever like you're gonna throw Roman Yossi out there because he's your best defenseman if he's playing thirty minutes a game like you John Hines is probably thinking oh what you know what it's just one game he'll be fine give him a day off tomorrow right. Right. it's just it's not it's not good to to keep running Roman Yossi into the ground because we saw it with UC Saros granted different positions but if you rely too much on one person they get injured that throws the whole thing off. Uh- so I want to get into the philosophical conversation about style play here to end the show, but that 30 minutes it, now they did have a long time off. That was a Saturday night. They're not going to play again until Thursday against St. Louis. So um, again, they'll play St. Louis on Thursday and against uh, Peter and, and uh, the Capitals on uh, Saturday at home. Um, before we do that though, let's remind everybody to go to Jasper's for all your home and road Preds games. The parking is free. The food is great. The happy hours for Preds games are very, very real, very special, much better than the Preds special teams. Uh, they, they, listen, $10, I'll get it right this time, $10 burgers, $3 beers. Again, three beers and a burger for less than 20 bucks with no nothing. You don't pay for parking and a free game room. Like, I'm not sure where in the city you're going to get a better deal than that. And oh, by the way, you can order yourself a gold standard cocktail named after this year podcast at Jasper. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big like drink three beers at dinner, but you know what? If you're watching a game, three beers goes down pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially so, if you're watching the Preds and their uh their special teams. So support local business, Weiss Liquors, of course. Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors, have the booze delivered to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. Make sure you shop local folks. That's Jasper's over on West End, part of the four top hospitality group. They've been a partner with this gold standard podcast since basically we launched almost, I think we're I think we've passed our two-year anniversary, actually. So make sure you go uh, support local businesses, Weiss Liquors, Jaspers, uh, Nashville Post, Nashville Scene, 440 Sports, all that great stuff. Just pay for good journalism and pay for local businesses to keep our community vibrant and thriving and successful. Uh, small businesses here, again, family-owned and operated for almost 100 years in Weiss Liquors' case and for a very long time in Four Top Hospitality's case, decades here. I, I, when did Amerigo's open? It's been open forever. So um, locally owned business. Okay. St- style of play philosophically here, because I find this interesting. I was listening to you and Gover talk about it. We kind of touched on it briefly at the end of last week's episode and didn't really get into the conversation, but I am curious because I want to start this because I know you you have a, how about this? You start by setting the benchmark with what, with what you think is going on here with the Preds style of play, the NHL style of play, and then we'll get into the conversation about it. Yeah, so, and and Gover made a, a great point, and it's all your fault. He said that the Predators kind of stumbled into this physical identity with the formation of the herd line. They had Matthew Olivier, Tanner Janot, or Matthew Olivier, um, Yakov Trenin, and Colton Sissons. They just kind of threw that line out there one time, and it produced really well for about 20, 25 games. Olivier gets injured, you bring up Janot. Then that line just really takes off and becomes a force to be reckoned with. And that became the tone setting line of the, of the team. They would start off and they would really just grit wear down a lot of other teams, uh, top lines. And then I think it was like a, a like a light bulb just kind of came on and John Hines was like, Hey, maybe we should make the whole team like this. Or maybe it was David Poyle. Who knows? Um, and then they suddenly, all you heard was identity, identity, physical, whatever. And it just, it's hard to encapsulate this. I feel like the Predators 
have kind of been they're they're behind the trends. So I think the modern day NHL is built more for teams that are teams that are built around speed and skill to thrive. And the Predators are built for physicality and toughness and grit and all that other fun stuff. But if you look, and I did I did this this morning, if you look at the top two teams in each division, in the Atlantic, the Bruins and the Panthers, I would argue that the Panthers are built more on skill. The Bruins are kind of built speed and skill a little bit. You look at the Metro, Hurricanes, speed and skill. Penguins, more skill. The Avs, tons of speed and skill. The Stars, that's the only team out of the out of the top two teams in each of the divisions. I would say that's more of a physical power team. Heavy the Pacific, team. Yeah. The Pacific, the Golden Knights, built on skill. The Flames, built on skill. So I think the Predators are they're And I, I've said this several times when it comes back to the, the Colorado sweep. And the, it's like, you can't hit what you can't catch. If these other teams are skating circles around you. And we saw a perfect example of it in the Dallas, I think it was the home opener. Uh, Matt Duchesne got burned going back the other way on an odd man rush. And he just could not keep up. And I thought he was going to get called for slashing or hooking or something because he got burned so bad and he didn't have the speed to catch up that he kind of flailed to stick out there to try to poke puck away. And luckily UC Saros made a fantastic save, but they, this, this team is built to beat you into the ground. They're not built to keep up with you in a race. And I would argue the only players on this team that really have that kind of game breaking speed is maybe Ellie Tolvanen. I, I can't really think of anyone else. Cody glass, perhaps maybe, so- but I can't think of anyone else that has that kind of speed that can keep up with the other teams that have, you know, that speed in bunches. So I like agree with your basic point that this, that there's something missing. I kind of disagree with how it's happened and who, who we're talking about here, which is the reason he, David Poyle fired Barry Trotz to hire Peter Laviolette. He was actually ahead of the curve on the game going to a skill game. And he brought in Laviolette to be a offensive skill type of franchise off, agree, the, yeah. off the heels of 15 years of being the other type of franchise, the Barry Trotz pre-strike, pre-rule change type of hockey team. So I think he was actually ahead of the curve with that. And they had some quick success. There were some up and down seasons there where they looked really great and then looked bad and then looked bad and then looked great. But it ended with going to the cup final and then trading for Kyle Turris. And so what happened in my opinion is they went, they swung so far into the speed and skill finesse category. I'm going to use finesse and, and heavy here as the two terms, they swung so far into the finesse category that that I think they, that's when they started getting pushed around Winnipeg and Dallas. And you guys talked about this on, it's all your fault. Like I think it's because they got too soft and, it's the same thing that he did when he went back and got John Hines, which is what are the two things John Hines are probably, if you're going to pigeonhole him philosophically as a coach, you're going to say development of young players. Cause that's his background. And you're going to say a 200 foot, very balanced game. And I, my issue is I don't think this team knows what it is because you have to have a good herd type of line. You, you need a good physical match up to open the period match up on the power on the penalty kill match up with the top line of the other team and push them around and get under their skin and agitate them. You need to have some of that. You can't be, you can't have none of it. Cause we saw what happened when you have none of it, you end up with Kyle Turris in every position. I, my issue is that they do have speed and skill at a lot of other positions. Like Matt Duchesne is not a bully. He is a speed skill player. Ryan Johansson should be more of a bully, but he's not. I, Philip Forsberg absolutely is a power player that should be playing with power, speed, and physicality. He has both of them. 
Mikhail Granlin is a skill guy. He is a smaller skill guy. I, the, the, the thing with Tolvanen is that he has been developed into a 200 foot player and now he forgot how to shoot. So he's one of the guys that I would say John Hines has pushed him too far into the heavy category. Yeah. Was he, what was he like number two on the team and hits last year or something like that? Uh, so, I, forwards, yeah. so I feel it's not necessarily that I think the philosophy is wrong. I feel like that they're not putting the right, like, there are certain guys on this team that are the speed skill guys, and there are certain guys on this team that are the heavy guys, and that's a good blend to have, but I don't think the overarching team philosophy core identity that I hear on the broadcast now, right? Even during commercial breaks with the with the coaching staff during intermission reports, he's like, well, I thought we played really well to our identity those first eight minutes, and I'm like, well, what is that? <laughs> yeah. And so right now I, their identity is losing, so they he's right. right. They are right. playing really well to their identity. So I still think you, I think Colorado is an anomaly. I think Colorado's speed and skill is an anomaly that that is like a baseball team that can, that that's like the golden state warriors ability to hit threes. Like, I just think it is not normal. You cannot aspire to that. Very few other teams are ever going to be able to put that collection of speed and skill together on one team and win a cup. The lightning to me have been the blend of physicality, skill, talent, you know, goaltending, all the things that you need to be a great hockey team. Yeah. You got you got to have both. And I I feel like with Lavi they swung way too far with one direction and with Heinz maybe they've swung too far the other direction. So that's your point and I kind of agree with that. But I well, I don't know what the middle ground looks like with this collection of players. Yeah. Maybe a better way to phrase this instead of saying like they have the wrong identity or they're they're built for a certain to play a certain way and they're not good against other teams. Maybe a better way to phrase it is they don't know how to play the correct matchups. Maybe, maybe that's that's a better way to do it because we saw against Colorado, they Colorado will beat you with speed and they have the skill to go score goals and put up points and bunches and stuff like that. Nashville has a few guys that maybe have some speed and stuff, but they didn't play they didn't play that series very well because Colorado just ran circles around them. And I don't want to keep basing everything off of that that one playoff series, but that's a example of not knowing how to play the matchups well. And granted, if UC Saros was in goal you probably would have saw a tighter defensive game. You probably would have saw fewer mistakes because when you have Connor Ringham out there, I, th- I feel like they're just going for broke because what else do you have to lose? Like it's a playoff series and you're playing your third string goalie. Like I don't expect much out of that, but I, I think it's not a fair vision of what that team really was to play Colorado without your goaltender. Yeah. If they had played Calgary with Soros and lost they would have won a, that series and either they win the series or they lose in seven games. And it's sort of evenly matched the way the Carolina series was two years ago. Carolina yeah. was far more skilled and talented, but they played up to that, that, that team in that series. And so to me, it's sort of like, I, I think, I think it's hard to base everything off of a matchup with Colorado without Saros. I think that's a, that's a tricky thing to do that doesn't give us an accurate portrayal of who they are. I also don't think a seven game start to the season is who they are. I yeah. also think losing I think John Hines playoff record also speaks for itself. Like it is what it is <laughs> like got to win, win a playoff series, dude. So I don't know. I, I I'm not ready to make definitive statements about their style of play just yet. I want to see how all the pieces come together because Cody glass is new and Niederreiter's new and McDonough's new and they're still figuring out the defense pairing. And like, I, I just want to see more before I say they've swung too far into the physical pound you into the ground type of team yet because I don't I don't think Duchesne or Grandland or 
Like, I don't think like Philip Tomasino and Cody glass and a lot of these guys, Fabro Carrier, like these guys are not pound you into the ground type of guys. They, they have some of them, but there's a lot of them that don't. So, yeah. And I mean, I, and I agree. I, I think the whole basing the team's identity off the herd line, like that's one line, the rest of the team isn't physical, but I feel like that's how they try to play. And we, we see that's why they went out and they got Jeremy Lozon last year. He, when they traded for him, he was sixth among defensemen in hits. You look at Ellie Tolvanen. I think last year he was second or third on the team among forwards and hits. I think he's third on the team in hits so far through seven games this year. They like to what you said, they John Hines has tried to take him from the sniper and make him more well-rounded. I think you, you need to have guys that are really good at what they're really good at. And if they're deficient in those other areas, you need to find a way as a team to kind of mask that. I don't think they should have took Ellie Tolvin in and turned him into this awesome four checker. Like, yeah, it's great to see that he has that growth and development that he took the coaching and he became one of the team's top four checkers. But also, like you said, it's like he forgot how to shoot the damn puck. The kid was really good at one thing, and that was getting on the power play, going to the faceoff dot, and teeing off. You should have left him alone, figured out ways to refine his game without messing with the one thing he's really good at. And I think that's the thing that they really dropped the ball on, is letting the players be really good at the one thing they're really good at, and then finding ways as a team to kind of fill in the gaps of, of all their deficiencies. To, to me, it's like a quarterback who like has a weird throwing motion and bad footwork, but his arm is just ridiculous. Like you need to go back and kind of decoach him and and build all the other stuff foundationally underneath him. But then as soon as you teach him all of that and he's got it down, let him go wild. And it's like, I'm glad that they taught Tolvin in the 200 foot game. They taught him how to forecheck. They taught they, that he developed that part of his game. Now he needs to go back to being the sniper. Like now we, we know he's got that. Go yeah. go back to being the guy that just tees off at the dot. I, I, I totally agree with you. So I think it's going to be a really interesting thing to track especially if the team gets a little bit better and they start winning some games and they're sort of back around 500 and they're competing for a playoff spot how do they get there who's doing it and how are they doing it i think that that style of play what does this team want to be question is really interesting relative to the nhl relative to this team's history and to the roster that they currently have so i think it's i think it's gonna i think it's a really interesting debate and we're gonna find out uh exactly what it looks like here uh in just a just Probably, you know, a couple of weeks. So, yeah. um, all right, you got uh, St. Louis and Washington coming up this weekend. Anything you want to look at particular in those two games? Because, again, they go Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, Colorado on the road starting next Tuesday. Pretty rough stretch. Got to get some points at home this weekend. Yeah, I would say that's the main thing is get some points. Don't blow a lead. Um, I think that's the one thing I'm looking at. Don't take undisciplined penalties. Uh, I think Washington is the only team in the NHL that has more hits than the Predators, so expect a physical game out of that. Ooh, that'd be cool. um, I think I think the St. Louis game is key. I think you you need something to get you out of this funk. I think beating a division rival would be really good for them. And I, I think yep. if you if you lose to St. Louis, it's just going to start going downhill from there. So there you have it. Enjoy. St. Louis needs to at least be that game needs to at least be competitive. I would say. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe you don't win, but don't get blown out seven to four. Uh, snap the winning snap the losing streak that that's all we got to do here so uh otherwise we're gonna do dumb things on pred social media (laughs) oh yes of course how could i forget of course we need to do that of course we've got bad takes we need to get to i I can't believe i was trying to end the show there too early michael i apologize about that pay for good journalism post scene jaspers weiss liquor support local business all that great stuff how could we forget about bad takes on the socials (laughs) from preds twitter and facebook what you got for the good people this week, my friend? All right. So strolling through the the cesspool that is the Predators Facebook group. Um, <laughs> I guess his, his name is Devin Michael Ray Murray. He said... That's one person? 
One person. Okay. Four names. He said, <laughs> I'm convinced at this point that this is the season. Sorry, let me restart. I'm convinced at this point that if this season turns out as bad as it's starting, it will be the fault of the ownership group that clearly don't have the balls to move on from Poyle because they have no idea how to manage a hockey team. This is just my opinion, but it's looking more to be it's looking more to be a fact every year. Hmm. And, that you, made have, me and laugh. you have major complaints with this take? Yes. Okay. Right. That made me laugh because for those of you who don't know, there's Holdings, I think, LLC, I think is the name of um is the name of the ownership group. They bought the team in 2007. So starting from, from 2008 on would be the re- this regime. They have five 100 seasons, eight seasons of 95 or more points. They had a 192 consecutive sellout streak. They have a 616, 414, and 134 record over that span. Those of you that are bad at math, that is the eighth most wins and the eighth best winning percentage over that span since this ownership group took over. What do what they have to do with any of that, though? Yeah. What what do they do? No, I'm had, I'm honestly asking. What did they do? They so keeping David Poyle in charge. David Poyle was the architect of this team. David Poyle is the guy who was going out and acquiring these players and hiring and firing head coaches and all that stuff, building the team. We have seen in a lot of particularly in football and a lot of other professional sports too that head coaches, GMs typically get a shorter leash nowadays. This ownership group was patient. They kept David Boyle when they probably could have let him go. They kept the kind of everything intact. And it really kind of put off two Central Division titles, a President's Trophy, Western Conference title, Stanley Cup final appearance, the most single season wins and points during the 2017-2018 season. The franchise had never won a, never won a round in the playoffs. But after the regime took over, they won seven times since. Okay. So I, I, Do they I get found the, it amusing the, the notion that this ownership group doesn't know how to manage a hockey team. I understand so, the anger with David Boyle, but you cannot sit here and say that David Boyle is a terrible GM. That's just that's no, 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 no. I but okay, I, I, I heard the take because it's it's nowhere near UC Saros is a is a fluke. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Last week on the show, if you missed it. We finished up with a bad social media take that was UC Saros had a fluke season last year, which is complete garbage. I I don't I kind of see where this one's going, which is if it ends the way it starts, which is atrocious, uh, we which you and I don't think is going to happen. But if it does and they end up finishing second to last in the division, they're a top five, top eight pick in the draft. Then it will have been ownership's fault that they kept David Poyle around too long to do the competitive rebuild. I mean, wouldn't that be the line of thinking? I mean, I, I know the pendulum on this thing swings so fast because we were trying to fire David Poyle in like March of 21. Then they go on a run and it's like, nope, oh no, let's let's competitive rebuild. Then the competitive rebuild kind of works, but it doesn't really work. But they stay in the playoffs, which is fun. And the team is competitive, which is fun but doesn't get closer to its championship goals. Then we think he makes a lot of positive moves in the offseason. So we're praising David Poyle, but now seven games in, it's all a sham. So I, to me, it's the overreaction of social media that bothers me in, in the short term. But I don't necessarily disagree that if this season is a total dumpster fire, at the end of it all, we are going to point at ownership and David Poyle and John Hines 
And those will be the three people entities that get blamed for where this franchise is, right? Yeah, and I, and I don't disagree with that. I should have I should have said I agree with the first part of his premise. The part I disagree with is the fact that this ownership group doesn't know how to run a team. I, I just read off the stats and the accolades yeah, that, no, show, that, that show that they do. I mean, I, mean, I, I understand they hire Sean being, Henry. That counts, right? Yeah, like I understand being angry and feeling like ownership is just sitting back and idly letting all these things happen and letting David Poyle run the franchise in the ground because I think that's what a lot of, not a lot, but maybe half of the fan base feels like. But since this ownership group took over, and I think people forget this ownership group saved this team from moving, relocating somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. The fact that the ownership group, while you may be angry as a fan that they're not doing what you want and they're not making these regime changes at the top because I under, I trust me, I understand the anger with David Poyle and John Hines and it's justified in a lot of cases, but to sit here and say this ownership group doesn't know how to run a hockey team is just completely asinine because like I said, eighth most wins since they've took it, taken over in the NHL, never won a playoff round before that first president's trophy, all, all the season success. I mean the, the eighth best winning percentage over that span as well. I think the proof is right there that they do know what they're doing whether you agree with David Poyle and John Hines or not, and even Peter Laviolette to a degree before that, I completely understand the first part of, of, of what he said that it will be ownership's fault. And I agree it will be ownership's fault because they kept them around too long. But the part that I disagree with is the fact that ownership doesn't know how to run a, run a franchise because they clearly do. Well, and the other question is how do you, you're evaluating their ability to quote unquote run a franchise based on on ice performance, which I would argue they have very little to do with. This franchise made $65 million in revenue in 2006 and 2007. It made 141 million and has been over 130 million since the cup run in 2017. So if you are a business owner and you are being measured by how much money you make as a business, they are wildly successful at running 192 consecutive sellouts. Uh, wildly successful at that. I don't think they have much impact on the ice. I don't. Because, I mean, unless they come out and say, here's how we hold David Poyle accountable. Here's how we evaluate John Hines. And, and maybe this ends up being when they have a more singular owner, maybe that's what happens. But until we know exactly how the power is structured between ownership and David Poyle, I, right now, we have no other choice but to sort of put it all on David Poyle. And, and I, I and, understand that line of thinking, but I, and again, we don't know what happens behind closed doors, but I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say that I believe that David just has carte blanche to do whatever. I think he has meetings with ownership at the end of the year and they lay out what goals they want from him. And I, I think it's, it's kind of secondhand. They don't, they don't say go out and sign Nino Niederreiter, but they, they probably say, look, we need these things to be addressed. We probably need, I don't know if they're specific and they say we need a top six forward or whatever, but they probably say we need to win more games. We need to score more goals. Uh, yeah, well, how I does would, that happen? You I go out and sign Nino Niederreiter. I so, would hope, I would hope they're not addressing that again. That's where David Poyle's expertise. Yeah, I don't think ownership is, is micromanaging him, but I think they say, Hey, we probably need to win more games than we did last year. We need to sell more tickets than we did last year. And because David goes, Hey, I need to sell more tickets. I'm going to make a Ryan McDonough trade because that's a big splashy move. Yeah. That's going to get fans excited. So I, th I think it's kind of, it trickles down secondhand from ownership to David. Bill. But I'm, I'm again, I understand what you're saying about, you don't think ownership affects what happens on the ice. I think it does, but it's, 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 it's a different, in a different way than sitting down and them telling him that he needs to do this stuff. So how, how we can end it on this. Cause I think here, and this is sort of, and the sad reality of sports in 2022, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just reality in sports, period. 
But this this decision by ownership to continue to keep David Poyle around is only going to be judged on one thing. Do they contend for a Stanley Cup championship? And if they and I'm not even saying win it, I'm saying contend, which is a stand, yeah. which is a conference final appearance or a Stanley Cup final appearance. If they do one of those two things, like the only way David Poyle's career is going to end, and I mean in the short term, not the the vision of his three thousand games and the winningest general manager over three decades, like that will be that's that's a Hall of Fame career that will always be viewed as a Hall of Fame career, no matter what. He's the architect of this entire franchise, literally every second of it, and deserves credit for every single positive thing that ever happens to the franchise. But how it ends is only going to be viewed through two lenses, and this is the world we live in today. It was either a complete failure because they did not ever get back to that championship standard. And David Poyle is going to be unceremoniously moved aside, fired, whatever, resigned, retires, and it will be considered a failure. And there'll be a lot of hand-wringing and questions about how long, how long do we keep them around too long, right? Or it's going to be viewed as a complete success by ownership because you kept David Poyle around and he did have that second run at the cup. And if he has a second run at the cup, everyone's you you have to say to ownership, good job. If he doesn't have the second run at the cup, we're all going to look at ownership and say, you waited too long. And that's it. Like that, there's there, those are the only two ways David Poyle's career is going to end as the general manager of the Nashville Predators. So yeah. And I mean, I, I agree with all that. And it's just kind of one of those things where you don't you you don't I I I understand wanting ownership to be more proactive but at the same time i feel like you kind of have to let the general manager do his job and i I don't think it's going to get to a point where we're 10 years down the road and we're still seeing seasons like the last couple years and ownership is going to sit back and be like okay because ticket sales are going to start hurting revenue is going to start decreasing the fan base is overall they're already negative as it is but it's going to get a lot worse and i don't think ownership is going to sit there and let the i i I would say, putting my best guess out there, I would say David Poyle has maybe two more years of the way things are right now before ownership steps in and either forces him to resign yep. or he goes into an early retirement and they go and get someone else. Yep. And, and and again, big picture judgment of Poyle and ownership is going to include so much positive stuff. Like, again, you the, the team is not in Canada. <laughs> so so yeah. let's just be very clear about what ownership and what th- that group of people has done. I, I don't want them to be more involved, hands-on meddling. I'm okay with like, you hire your GM, let the GM do your job. Like I'm fine with that. I would, I would prefer more transparency from ownership telling us exactly how this is all being accounted for. Like what, what, what accountability system and structure and conversations do you have how does it work? Like, how are you judging and evaluating David Poyle and John Hines? Like, I just think there's there's no transparency and there's no voice that yeah. speaks that speaks for ownership and ownership more than more than David Poyle, more than John Hines, and more than any player. Ownership answers to the fans. That yeah. is the, that's the difference. David Poyle doesn't answer to the fans; he answers to ownership. John Hines doesn't answer to the fans. He or the media. He answers to David Poyle and subsequently ownership. Ownership. The product they are selling, the customers are the fans. And, and I think I, we'll see I think some transparency is important. Yeah, I think we'll see more of that transparency once Bill Haslam transitions into the majority owner. Herb Fritch even said, I mean, it was what, a couple months ago? He even said that he prefers to sit and watch the games in the comfort of his own seats and yep. not have to be the mouthpiece for the team. 
and Bill Haslam, former governor, is very comfortable public speaking. Very <laughs> comfortable. Yap. <laughs> yeah, he's very comfortable opening his mouth. And I think he I think that's why we're seeing him become the new majority owner. It's going to I think it's going to be a three year process is because he's he's someone who's not afraid to stand in front of a crowd and answer tough questions. So I, I, I do think we'll see more of that transparency, which is why I, a two year window on David Poyle, because by the time Bill Haslam is majority yeah. owner, if things don't turn around, he's going to be the guy that's going to force these changes, these wide sweeping regime changes, and he's going to have to answer for that. So uh, it's going to be very interesting by the time 2025 rolls around. Bill Haslam never did anything that made yeah. himself answer tough questions. Never. That's never happened. Michael, yeah. Michael Gallagher, <laughs> Nashville post Nashville scene, get to him on Twitter at MG sports underscore. It is like, if you let your brain wander to the end of David Poyle, there are only two, there are only two endings to that story. Like the, that, not that long 30 year novel. There's only two endings to it. Um, and uh, I think for Preds fans, obviously they're hoping for, for the happy ending and some sort of run at a championship sort of deal and we'll see what happens uh <laughs> so far the first seven games not inspiring much hope in that so which is funny because they they got a taste of that success in 2016-17 and they they forget that david Poyle built that team it, it's like they they sell him short on some of the things he did good and i understand the, the, the fans it's, it's bad. yeah okay yeah the, i was gonna say the me the ownership doesn't sell him short they've kept him around oh so. no 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 but the the amount of fans i've seen that are like fire david Poyle as if he's some scrub that's been on the job for three years like this is a hockey hall of famer he built this team from the ground up and i'm not saying keep him around because of, of his legacy like i think that was the thing with barry trotz when they fired him like yes he's very well liked and he has this track record of being good but it comes to a point where you being good isn't good enough yeah but I think with David Poyle, people just tend to treat him as if he's, you know, been doing this for like five or 10 years and like, oh, fire, fire him and get another guy. Like David has a long track record of success. And I understand wanting to cut the leash shorter as it's getting to the end of this. But also it's just kind of perspective. Keep it in perspective that David Poyle has done a lot of good things for this franchise. Well, I was on record on this show saying two off seasons ago, it was time for him to slide aside. And he's been very, very good at not getting to conference championship games. So just leave it at that. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's time for him to go, and they probably could use a fresh voice, but also don't act like he hasn't done anything for this franchise. But I say that to say if he makes a run and they go to a cup a, a cup final again or a, win a championship or conference final again, then I will have been wrong, and he was they were they would have been right to keep him in the place for the for the, those last two or three years. So we'll we'll see we'll see how it ends, and only time will tell. And that's like you said, I think you're exactly right. It's about two years down the road, and. I know we all want our answers microwaved and hot taked and everything, but like, that's not how it works. It's not how the world works. It's not how real people work in the world. We're not all a radio segment. So there you have it. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Read Michael's work over on the post and the scene. Go to Jasper's, go to Weiss Liquors as well. My name is Braden Gall. Enjoy the weekend. Have fun, everybody. Listen to It's All Your Fault uh, with you and Gover. You'll be back, of course, early next week. So check that out. Uh, otherwise, rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Have a great weekend, everybody. For Michael and Braden, this has been the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network.